So this morning, in the second Sunday of Lent, we continue our reflections on hope and healing. Many of you receive the Lenten devotionals every morning, or you have a hard copy, and that is the theme as well. These two brief scripture passages speak in their own way, and not directly, but in their own sort of metaphorical way, is how you and I might engage the Bible in a way that promotes hope and healing. And from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the psalmist wrote, your words are wonderful, and therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light, it imparts understanding. With open mouth I pant because I long for your teachings. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your custom. Your words are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live them. And then Jesus, teaching the disciples of every century from the Gospel of Luke. I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your items, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love, already love you, what credit is that? For even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. This ends the reading from the Gospel of Luke. And may these words, which once transformed the disciples' hearts, transform our hearts as well. Well, I've said a couple of times the Lenten series is on hope and healing. You probably already know that. This morning, you just were part of this. In a great moment in the life of our church, we presented Bibles to our fourth graders. We give Bibles to new members as well. And so I will reflect this morning on one way to approach reading the Bible with healing and hope. But you might say, well, what other way is there? Isn't the Bible about healing and hope? Well, I think yes, except there, it is important for us to remember that at times the church, with a capital C, pastors, maybe faith in general, have used sacred writings not for hope and healing, but to hurt people, to exclude people, to marginalize the other. The Bible indeed can be a beautiful source of inspiration for living an abundant life, but it has also been used to inflict judgment on pain, sometimes just on someone for being different. So this morning I will reflect on one way to engage the Bible that might bring healing and hope to those who read it. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. Well, just moments ago, maybe a minute ago, we did something that we do virtually every Sunday without fail, right? We opened up an ancient book, became hushed, maybe attentive, and read scripture. Now, 
this is pretty obvious, our Christian faith is grounded in the Bible. However, we do not worship the Bible. That's always been considered idolatry to worship the Bible. We worship God and God's love made flesh in Jesus. And yes, of course it is the Bible that are spoken of, they speak of both God and Jesus, and it is the Bible that points us to God and Jesus. But I also have no doubt that the Divine One is known in other ways and by other names. But for Christians, the Bible is the beginning, the foundation of our sacred story. But the Bible takes time. I suppose it's a bit like a friendship. In order to be someone's good friend, you have to be willing to spend some time in conversation with that person. Maybe work with that person, play with that person a little, and frankly, just hang out a bit. But rather than be a friend to some, as I mentioned, the Bible has become a stumbling block for many because it has been used as a source of hurt, even used as a weapon to harm people. There are times the Bible has not promoted hope or healing, but has harmed people. One writer has suggested that over the past 50 years, more Christians have left the church because of the Bible than for any other reason. More precisely, I think, they have left when a rigid way of understanding the Bible has ceased to make sense to them. And biblical literalism, with an emphasis on biblical infallibility, that it is without error, is completely historical, it's a cultural absolute, has become an obstacle for millions of people of faith. And it's from that, about maybe six, seven years ago, a professor at the University of Virginia who was so annoyed by a television commentator who was using quotes from the Old Testament book of Leviticus to condemn homosexuality, that this professor wrote a letter, a rather funny one, to the television personality. And it began, Dear Dr. Laura, thank you so much for educating people regarding God's law. I do, however, need some advice from you about the Bible. For instance, in Leviticus, which you quoted in one of your shows, and I'm sure you know this, it says that I may possess slaves, both male and female, provided they are purchased from a neighboring nation. Can you clarify this? Does this mean I may own a Canadian? Another question I need advice on. I have a neighbor who insists on working on the Sabbath, Moses Lawn. Exodus 35 states clearly what happens. Am I allowed to put him to death or should I have the authorities? He adds, most of my male friends go to the barber or the hair salon and get their hair trimmed, including their hair around their temples. You were quoting Leviticus, you surely know in Leviticus 19 that that is forbidden to trim your hair. Again, he asks, how shall they die? And on and on, he asked all kinds of questions about guidance. And all of those and more, of course, are in the Bible. And some people, 
For some, those archaic biblical decrees become such an obstacle, such a stumbling block, that they choose what I think is another too easy path. Literalism is too easy of a path, but so is the path of abandoning the faith. But for a lot of us, those ancient laws are acknowledged simply as part of the human and cultural fabric that are woven into the Bible. But that doesn't mean the Bible isn't sacred. So perhaps the challenge for 21st century Christians, who we give the Bible to, like our fourth graders, and a challenge for those who wish to use the Bible for hope and healing and not harm, is aptly summarized by a theologian I once took a class from. And she said, we have to remember that one type of Christian wants to resist, resist affirming that the Bible is any kind of a human product. And they fear that if they assume or acknowledge that there is some human influence, that will mean the Bible loses its status as a divine authority and revelation. But on the other side, there are Christians of another flavor who are too often nervous of affirming that the Bible is sacred scripture, fearing that if they say it is still sacred, it opens the door to notions of infallibility or literalism. A literalism that in maybe its strangest end might mean that, yes, you may own a Canadian. But perhaps there is a different path. A path that allows us to see the Bible as both sacred scripture and human product. It doesn't mean the Bible isn't inspired truth. I believe it is. But rather it is an inspired truth that is woven deeply into a cultural fabric and a fabric that doesn't always make sense to us. The Bible in its core is a story how our spiritual ancestors responded to the idea of God, how they tried to describe the indescribable with something that is inadequate, and that's words. I mean, how did they try to describe how their heart was strangely warmed when they felt loved by God, I mean, think about it this way. After you've gone to this astonishing concert and heard this beautiful music, and you come home and you try to tell your friend exactly what it was like, and you can't. You can't describe how the notes transported you, transformed you, but you still try to describe it. And that, in a sense, is the Bible. It's an attempt to use words which are inadequate to describe the indescribable. So, personally, I have no trouble affirming that the Bible is still both human in origin and sacred in status. But I know I get it. Too many of us believe that, well, traveling in the 21st century with the Bible as our guide is a little like taking a vacation with a 2,000-year-old atlas. I mean, it may be interesting to look at, but you're hardly going to be able to get where you want to go because, of course, the landmarks and the roads have, have changed drastically. But I would suggest to you that the Bible, although an ancient witness, is an eternal witness to a living God and that these ancient stories still orient us towards God, just like a compass needle always points towards true north. It's our decision 
whether to follow the compass. But I do suggest to you that the Bible has a great deal to say to us about the journey ahead. It has a great deal to say to us about the healing and hope for our world that so many of us hunger for. And I think that's why we give our Bibles to fourth graders and even to new members. And we do it for fourth graders in particular because we're hoping that scripture gives them an alternative vocabulary. Because the world that they're going to encounter, the world of popular culture, defines almost everything else that we say to one another. And so popular culture will call people the poor folk across town, or welfare recipients, or strangers at our borders. But the Bible calls them neighbors. Our culture is going to tell them that it, it needs to be fair, you get what you earn, there's laws, and the Bible speaks of grace and love and mercy. I believe that one of the reasons we give our fourth graders Bibles is that when we use the vocabulary of neighbors or grace or mercy, we end up finding ourselves thinking about the world in a different and better way. A way that teaches us to respect others despite any differences. To respect one another because we are all, just as we are, created in God's image. I would suggest to you that scripture, when it's read with healing and hope in mind, urges us to respect those who call God by another name. And respect those people not in spite of our faith in Jesus, but because of it. So not only do we give our fourth graders and our new members Bibles, we also suggest a way that scripture might be approached. And perhaps we need to sort of give up on the idea of thinking about the Bible as a book to be figured out or deciphered. Instead, hear it, read it as a love story. And you know, just as two people in love periodically have a disagreement, God and God's people have plenty of arguments as well. But the Bible witnesses to the fact that the love between God and with and for God's people, that love endures. I think scripture is better encountered as a, as a chronicle of people who are in love with God. And so we give our fourth graders Bibles because it describes a way of life of mercy and love. A way of life that would not make sense without God. We give them Bibles to remind them that the challenges of any season, of any age, can be awfully difficult to navigate without God and without God's love story. We need God's love story for healing and hope. That's why we give those Bibles to our fourth graders and even to new members. We give them so that the love story they will encounter will become their story as well. And for each and every one of us, in times of challenge, times of joy, when you are in need of healing and hope, then I pray it will be, well, that it will be your story as well. Amen.